Thank you guys. Great job leading us in worship this morning. Um, welcome back students. We are glad you're here with us this morning. Here y'all had an incredible week at camp. Um, if y'all didn't know, our students were off at camp this last week and so I encourage you to go ask them about how they encountered God this week um, afterwards. And so I just want to welcome you guys back. We're glad you're here this morning. Hope you can stay awake. Um, I know y'all had a long week and you're probably all tired. Um, so I'll be looking over there, checking in on you guys every once in a while, okay? Um, and so this morning, um, we're going to take a look and, and try and answer this question, okay? How do we say no to the emotions that compete for control in our lives? And if you're like me, when I started preparing for this, and this is all came about from a conversation Jeff and I had this week, and he didn't even know um, what I'm talking about just yet, and I'll, I'll get to that later. Um, but if you're like me, I started, I asked myself this question, or actually Jeff asked me a question very similar to this um, this, this week, and it just makes me kind of nervous um, because I know exactly what those emotions are that compete for control in my life. Um, and if you ask the people closest to me, and if you ask probably the people closest to you in your life, I bet a lot of them can identify um, that emotion that competes for control in your life as well. Um, and so it kind of makes you a little bit uncomfortable. It kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable. And so that's going to be the question we're, we're shooting for um, today to try and answer. But let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick, and um, we'll, we'll get started. Um, God, we come to you this morning, um, God, as we approach your word, um, as we seek um, to answer this question of what it is that, that competes for control in our lives, what that emotion is that competes for control in our lives. God, I pray that, um, that we'd learn a little bit about ourselves, um, but God, that we'd hear what your son Jesus says um, about how we identify that and about how we combat that. Um, and so, God, as we open your word this morning, um, Lord, we pray that you would speak um, this morning, Lord, that you would teach us um, and that we would leave here a little different than we came this morning. Um, we ask this all in your son's name. Amen. And so the reason um, I'm excited about this passage this morning um, because I think this passage, I think this question, answering this question has implications for everyone, Okay. Um, not just for Jesus followers, so if you're here and maybe you don't really believe um, in Jesus yet, this has implications for you because this is a human condition. Um, this is something that all humans um, have in common, um, that we all struggle with. We all share um, sort of this primary thing in our lives um, that surfaces pretty quickly um, as maybe life comes at us, okay? Um, it surfaces pretty quickly and competes for control maybe um, of what we say, maybe what we don't say, um, how we say it, who we say it to, uh, maybe how loudly we say it. Um, and y'all are probably starting to kind of think of some of these emotions that kind of surface pretty quickly in your life as life comes at you, okay? And so I think this has implications for all of us. And so now because all of us are adults, um, there's something that we've all kind of picked up throughout the course of life, um, and that is how to maybe monitor our behavior, right? 
And so we've all learned in some capacity over the course of life how to monitor behavior. We've learned it so that we can get a job. We've learned how to monitor our behavior so we can get dates, right? So we can get a second date and a third date. Um, So we can get married down the road. We've learned to monitor our behaviors, right? Some of us students, we've monitored our behaviors maybe to get something from our parents, right? To be able to, to kind of weasel our way sometimes to get what we want from our parents. We've modified our behavior. Um, So all of us in some capacity have learned behavior modification. Some of us may be a little better than others, um, but we've all learned it. Um, And so here's the thing, is that as we go in our text this morning, Jesus invites us um, the same way that he invites his first century followers in what we're about to read, in the same way that he invites every century follower to not only adjust our behavior, but he wants to go deeper than that. He wants us to learn to look at what's actually happening inside of our hearts. Okay, and so that's where we're going this morning, is that Jesus is calling us deeper. Deeper than just behavior modification, but he actually wants to get to the root of it, which is rooted in our hearts. And so we're going to get to that here in a little bit. And so um, what we're going to learn from Jesus, I think think all of this has potential to affect um, and to change maybe our marriages, maybe the way we um, parent, uh, maybe the way we lead um, at our jobs. Um, I think this has great potential um, to affect all those areas, okay? And so, um, as we begin this adventure this morning, uh, my hope is that we gain some insight from Jesus, okay? On how to identify and how to combat some of these emotions um, that compete for control in our lives, okay? So let's go ahead, if, um, if you haven't already, we're going to be in Matthew 15 Um, this morning. So if you haven't already, let's go and flip over to Matthew um, 15, and we're going to start in chapter 1, okay? And so as we pick up in Matthew 15, while y'all are getting there, Jesus is with his guys, okay? And when I say he's with his guys, if you you read in the gospel, um, he's got these 12 guys, his chosen guys, we call them apostles. Um, He's with his guys, okay? And um, outside of just his apostles, he's got a discipleship following. I mean, we can read through Scripture and see that there's some women, there's some other men um, that are following Jesus. So he's got his guys and these disciples that are following him. Um, and so that's where we're at right now. He's with his guys, okay? And this is where we start. It says, Then one day some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. I'm going to pause there for just a second because it's important that we notice this. Matthew adds in his version of the gospel that they came from Jerusalem. And this is important because um, it's a kind of a code word to say, hey, look, they're up to something. They're not just coming to have some casual conversation um, with Jesus, but they're up to something. Um, And so this is kind of a code to kind of flag us and say, hey, Pay attention here because the Pharisees, they're up to something, okay? Um, And another reason we know that is because if you look on a map, and most of our Bibles have them in the back, um, we'll see that Jerusalem, and I'm going to try and map this out for you all guys over there, so I'm going to have to go backwards for myself. Jerusalem's down here, okay? 
up north you have the Sea of Galilee, and I believe, if I'm doing it right, west, right here, northwest of the Sea of Galilee is Genesaret. And if you go back to chapter 14, right at the end, it says that they're in Genesaret. So that's where they're at, kind of northwest of the Sea of Galilee, and that is about an 85-mile span. Okay, and so we're not talking about driving our car, which would probably for us be about an hour and a half drive. We're talking about like caravanning on camels if we're lucky, okay? And this is, this is an excursion for them, okay? This t- took some serious commitment, and it took some serious preparation for them to get here. So they are up to something. They're not just coming for a conversation, but they're up to something. And we're going to learn um, what that is. And so this is why they came. It was to ask this question, if you'll continue reading on. They asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And so we read this kind of in our modern context, and I'm sure some of y'all are like, well, that's kind of gross. Like, we wash our hands before we eat. But if you go back in their time, water's pretty precious, okay? They don't have just like faucets. Um, they don't have bathtubs and running water in every house. Like, it, it was a chore to go and get water. So they didn't just go pour it all over everything, okay? So it was pretty common that oh, people wouldn't wash their hands before they ate. Okay, for us, that's gross. For them, pretty normal. But this is the question that they're being asked. And so um, there's something we're going to look at is we need to understand what the tradition of the elders is because it's going to be important to what we unpack here in just a little bit, okay? And so the tradition of the elders, um, also known in some circles during that time as the oral Torah. And so we know the Torah is the written word of God, okay? We find it in the the first five books of the Bible um, is the written word of God. We're going through um, in Sunday school the Ten Commandments, right? And so um, this is part of the Torah, the Ten Commandments, along with the rest of the written law, okay? And so um, there's the tradition um, of the elders, also known as the oral Torah. And what this was is this was some mysterious teaching um, that supposedly when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Torah, the written Torah that we have in our first five books of the Bible, they claim that there was some oral Torah given to him as well. Okay, and supposedly um, that oral Torah um, that, that he was given has been passed on to a small group of men throughout the centuries, throughout time, okay? And it was always men, and it was always a small group um, of leaders, okay, that was passed on. And so um, what's tricky about this oral Torah is that they claim that it was forbidden to be written down, okay? So you have the written word of God, and then you have this oral Torah that's forbidden to be written down that only a small group um, of men had, okay? And so um, the reason that this is important that we look at is that they would take this oral tour that only a small group of men would have known and they try and apply it um, to people as they see fit and as they see it um, as it conveniences them. Okay? And 
Um, sometimes as, you, as this oral Torah comes up and you read and you hear about the elders or the tradition of the elders throughout um, some of the Gospels, that as this would come up, it kind of seemed to come in conflict um, and almost sometimes even served as commentary on the written Word of God. And as we continue going on, you're going to see Jesus is not buying it. He's not buying that there's some secondary, mysterious, only a handful of men um, knew it. He's not, he's not buying it that there's a secondary, mysterious Torah. No, he's for the written word of God that everybody knows, okay? And so as this comes up, that should be a red flag, right? But for these guys, they were using it to lord it over people, to manipulate people um, for all this time, Okay? And so um, the reason I talk about that is that this, they're talking about washing their hands, okay? And so in this oral Torah, um, the way that Jews in this time would stay ceremonially clean um, and, and to make sure that they didn't accidentally, and this is all um, implied that it was accidentally, okay? Is that they didn't accidentally violate some dietary law um, they would go through this ceremonial washing, okay? So they didn't accidentally violate this law. And so now the problem with all these written laws that Jesus is getting at is that it makes God small and it makes him petty. And Jesus says, I'm not buying it, okay? I'm not buying that there's some mysterious law because my God, my Father, is not small and he's not petty, And so this is what Jesus says to him, okay? He says, And why do you break the actual written command of God for the sake of your traditions? In other words, why do you use your traditions to manipulate people in every time to get something that you want or something that you need? And so um, every time um, they do something, they don't want people to do, they're like, oh, well, the tradition of the elders, um, this non-written law, there's, there's all these things that it's like, you can't do that. Well, you can't do that. And so there's changing the rules as they go. And so he says, um, you've actually used these traditions for yourselves because um, he, he gets to this illustration that we're about to read and he says look you're actually using these traditions for yourselves to kind of weasel your way around the written word of God as it relates to taking care of your aging parents and so this is what he says he says for God said or in verse 4 for God said honor your father and mother And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify or cancel the word of God for the sake of your tradition. He says, you hypocrites. He says, you're using some tradition that nobody else knows except this small group of people to actually cancel out, to kind of weasel your way around having to do something that maybe you don't want to do. You're using this to get out of 
something that God's made very clear. And so he says, you actually are taking something that is clearly written, and you're using something unclear to get around something that's clear so you don't have to do the clear thing. And Jesus continues just to say, I'm not buying it. And he says, you hypocrites. And then he actually goes and he quotes the, Isaiah pro- or the prophet Isaiah. And he says this. And I think it's a pretty profound insight. He says, these people honor me with their lips. He says, they've learned to say all the right things. They honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. He says, look, they are playing a game. He says, they've turned religion into a game. That they can always win. And so, real quick, um, I came across this video um, that that we're going to queue up and I'm going to have them play. And look, this is a kind of goofy um, video that we're going to watch. It's a little long um, but I think it's, it's humorous, but sheds light on kind of exactly what's happening with the Pharisees, okay? And so um, we're going to queue up the video and, and, and watch this, and I think it's a pretty good picture of what's happening. So that's a very, very goofy video of the history of baseball is what it's called. Um, and I realize that it's goofy, but I think it's a great picture of what's happening um, with the Pharisees here, okay? And we're going to talk a little bit about that video and a little more about the Pharisees here in just a second. But we're going to continue to kind of work through um, this passage, and we'll get back to that here in a moment, okay? So um, as Jesus kind of continues um, to teach, um, and he's kind of combating these, these Pharisees, talking to these Pharisees, um, a crowd kind of begins to gather, okay? And as this crowd gathers, I think kind of what Jesus is about to say is a pretty, um, pretty cool thing, um, and I love how it kind of plays out, because the way it kind of works is that um, Jesus is about to just kind of drop a bomb on these guys, and he just kind of drops the mic and just like walks out, okay? And so I love how he goes about this, and so he kind of calls all these people in, all this crowd, and he goes, listen and understand, He says, what goes in to someone's mouth does not defile them. He's saying, look, what somebody eats by accident, because they didn't go through their ceremonial washing of the hands, and so they accidentally consume something that's maybe um, a part of this dietary law. He says, so what somebody takes in by their mouth by accident He says, that does not put them at odds with God. Because my God's not small, my Father's not small, and He's not petty. He says, no, but I tell you what. He says, what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. And he just kind of like drops the mic and just walks off. And it's such a great picture. And so um, his disciples turn And they're following him. And I just kind of imagine it like this. 
um, that the Pharisees, as the disciples are kind of walking off, kind of catching up to Jesus, um, kind of like a, a little sibling moment, just kind of like look back and kind of like, no, 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 like gotcha, like kind of jabbing at them of like, we just won, um, Jesus just won that fight, that argument. So they're just kind of like prodding at them and just kind of like walking off, catching up to Jesus. Okay? And what we learn as we continue to go through is that, um, that makes it kind of funny is that the disciples, as they're falling, they don't even know what just happened. They just know that Jesus kind of won that argument. He walked off, and they're just like, yeah, like that's my guy. He just won that. I don't know how he won it. I don't even know what he just said, but he won it, okay? And so um, I kind of get the kind of the mental picture, like my two brothers and I, when we were little, like someone would get caught doing something, and the rest of us wouldn't, and it's just kind of like looking back, and I'm like, ha-ha, you just got caught, um, and, and just kind of prodding at him, Okay? Um, and so when they catch up to Jesus, um, this is kind of what, what they say. And I find it kind of funny because um, they say, Jesus, did you know or do you know? And it's like, I'm Jesus, of course I know. And this is the question they ask. Jesus, did you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard what you said or when they heard this? And Jesus' response here is so good, but it is so offensive to these Pharisees. He says, every plant, we're in verse 13, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. And he says, leave them. He says, look, at one time it was okay to follow these guys, but they have abandoned the written law. They are so far from the truth. He says, leave them. And this is what he says. He says, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And that is so offensive to these guys. Because these guys have given their whole lives of studying the written word of God and apparently memorizing this oral word of God And he's saying, they're blind, just leading the blind. And he says, if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall into a pit. He says, just leave them, okay? And this happens so much in religion today. Is that we create all these rules, and people just, they're not buying it. They're not here to play games. And he says, just leave it and follow me. Now here is where we're about to get into how this applies to us, okay? So I know we've worked through this whole moment, and you're like, okay, how does this apply to us at all? Okay, we had to work through some of this stuff to know kind of what they're going through, um, to kind of understand what Jesus is talking about, and we're about to get to how it applies to us. And so as we keep moving on, the disciples, they're just still not getting it. And as per usual, Peter's about to be kind of the apostle spokesperson, as he always is, it seems like. And so he kind of walks up to Jesus, and he's like, you know, I know we were kind of cocky back there. I know we kind of were full of it. Acted like we knew what was going on. He's like, can you explain this parable to us? And you'll find this in verse 15. He says, Peter said, explain the parable to us. And then 
Um, I think kind of with a grin, I know we, we read the Bible and it's like it's all so serious. We've got to read all the time. I kind of think with a grin, this is my imagination, it's not the Word of God, but I kind of think that Jesus with a grin kind of looks at him and responds with this kind of humorous um, remark. They say, he says, are you still so dull? And he says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out the body? And I kind of think that the disciples are looking at him like, well, we're not that dull. I kind of know what's happening with my body. We've got that kind of figured out, okay? He says, we're not that dull. And right here is what we've been working towards all morning. This is how Jesus finishes this this statement. He says, But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from their heart, and these are what defile them. He says, look, it's not the things that you accidentally consume that defile you, that put you at odds with God. He says, the thing that puts you at odds with God are the things that come out of your mouth. And where they actually come from is your heart. He says, that's what puts you at odds with God. And so something we learn is that, look, God is not most concerned about how our behavior affects him. Look, he's God. I'm not saying that's freedom to do whatever we want. I'm saying, look, he's not most concerned about how our behavior affects him. He says, however, I am concerned about how the things we say or the things we do affect the people that I love, the people that I created. He says, I'm very concerned about that. He says, what comes out of your mouth, the things that kind of put you at odds with the people around you, the people that I love, that's what puts you at odds with me. And this is why he continues to say this, okay? He says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Comes murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. He says, these are what defile a person. And what's common about all those things he just mentioned? They all relate with people. They all put us at odds with the people that God created. Right? He says, I'm concerned about that. And so I'm going to have a slide come up, and these are kind of two things that, that we notice, and one um, is kind of where we start, and one's where hopefully we kind of finish in our thought today. Um, it says, when our priority becomes behavior modification, Um, as opposed to a heart monitored by God. So when our priority becomes behavior modification, as opposed to a heart that's monitored by God, it leaves a stench that turns people away. And so the reason I played that video, and it, it works perfectly, is look, when he finishes nine innings and he's ready, he's like, all right, let's take a break and let's start some more. He kept changing the rules on these guys, and they're like, no, we're done. 
nine innings is enough. And that's how we have nine innings of baseball today, right? No, but nine innings is enough. You're like, you keep changing the rules and this isn't even fun. We're done playing this game. And that's what happens when we do, when we play the behavior modification game. We never get to the root of the issue. We just fix, okay, don't say that. Slap the wrist. Hey, don't treat your brother or sister that way. Slap the wrist. But why? Why am I treating my brother or sister? Why am I saying these things? And here's the, the, the response to that is, but when our priority becomes obedience and we allow God to begin monitoring our heart, the real issue, the inverse of that is it draws people in. Because it's attractive. And it leads us to repentance. Because when I know the source of the issue, I can get to the source of the issue. And so now when I've created um, or put myself at odds with someone, and the issue is really myself, God can say, hey, it's not them, it's you. And the real issue is this. And so it allows us to go and now forgive or ask for forgiveness from that person. And that's attractive. Right? And so as we wrap up this morning, I'm going to have the band go ahead and kind of make their way back up. Look, I think this isn't separate from what we learned from Jeff last week. And that's what I think is so cool about this. Because if you remember, Jeff was talking about the, the middle child discipleship. And something he said is that all of us, as heirs to God, as heirs to Jesus, or to the throne, all of us have a place, and all of us have a purpose in the family of God. And part of that requires having tough conversations sometimes, okay? And so to get to the heart of the issue sometimes requires a tough conversation from our brothers and sisters. That's discipleship. And for us to get to the heart of that issue, Jesus sometimes uses the people around us to get to that issue. And the reason that, that we're having this conversation, the reason that we're looking through this passage today is because Jeff was able to do that with me this week. And he was able to say, hey man, I think there's something more to it than that. I think that thing bothering you, I think it's, it's rooted deeper than that. And it allowed me to kind of backtrack and work through, yeah, you're right. It's not, that's not the issue, but there's something deeper, deeper rooted than that. And so I was able to backtrack and work out and figure, man, it's that emotion that's competing for control in my life. That's what it is. And so I was able to backtrack and figure it out and then allow God to, to help me work through the rest of that. Because that was never the issue. It was something deeper in the heart. So we have to have some of these conversations with one another about what's actually going on. And so... Um, 
where I want to wrap up today is with this promise. It's this promise found in Matthew 11. If we go back a few pages, a few chapters, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And this kind of helps us process through um, this. This is what Jesus says. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, all you who are tired, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, look, those things going on in your heart, when they get identified, he says, give them to me. He says, give those things to me because my burden, my yoke, it's light and you can actually handle it. He says, but you can't handle that. Not without being at odds with the people around you and being at odds with me. He says, but you give that over to me. He says, I'll produce in you, we have the fruits of the Spirit, I'll produce in you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. He says, turn that over to me. He says, and allow me to take that burden. Allow me to deal with what's going on in your heart and let me produce these things in you. Because my burden's light. You can handle it. And so my hopes is that this morning, as you kind of think about what those emotions are that compete for control in your life. My hopes is that we get to the deeper issue. It's not about behavior modification. It's not about just fixing that surface level so we don't do it again. No, let's, let's get to the heart of it is what Jesus is saying. He says the things that come out of your mouth, they're actually rooted deep in your heart. And I want to work on that because it makes you look more like me, and it's going to make you more attractive to the rest of the world, so the rest of the world wants to follow me. Okay? It says, that's what I want to get to. And so, we're going to move into a time um, this morning, um, give you an opportunity to respond. And the band's going to, going to lead us in some more worship. Um, but you're going to have a chance to respond. And so, real quick, in this time, I want to move into to just a moment of prayer. And as we wrap up this prayer, um, I'm going to turn it over to the band, and they're going, to, they're going to lead us. But I want to give you an opportunity to come forward and respond, okay? And to actually deal with some of that stuff that's rooted deep in our hearts, okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we are so thankful for your Son. God, we're so thankful for the work on the cross. God, that we no longer just have to to follow some rules to try and get back um, even um, and in right standings with you. God, that you care much more about us than that. God, that you solved that once and for all and you atoned that. And so God, as we work through some of this stuff that's just rooted deep in our hearts, God, we ask that you would help us identify some of that stuff. And God, if we need another brother or sister to come along us and help us identify that, 
gently and in love. God, I ask that you would um, bring those people along. And so, God, in this moment, as we move into a time to, um, to come and come and spend time with you and allow you to kind of work on our hearts, God, I pray that you would start identifying some of that stuff. Lord, that you would help us get to the source of what's actually the issue. God, we're thankful that your son came and he died for us. Lord, that we can even come into this place um, and worship you not worrying about um, the things we have to do to get right with you. God, you've solved that. So God, we praise you for that. And we praise you for that work on the cross. So God, in this moment, God, I pray that you would work on each one of our hearts. God, that you would dig a little deep, Lord, that you would kind of uproot some of that stuff in our hearts that's really an issue. And Lord, that you would help us as we identify some of that stuff. Have healthier marriages. God, that you would help us in leading and teaching our children. That you would make us better parents. God, as you work on some of that stuff, that you would um, make us better um, responders to our teachers and to authorities. God, that you would help us in our friendships. And God, that we wouldn't be at odds with the people around us because we know you care about them. So God, as we move into this time, Lord, we ask that you would be here, that you would work, and that you would dig up some of that stuff for us. God, we love you. God, it's in your name we pray. Amen.